0: All right. Are we good to go? Are we live? Yeah, we're live. Okay. He's like, give me some minutes. I can't give you any minutes right now. Okay. All right. Book of Romans. Everybody knows where we are? Romans chapter 8. We've been in Romans chapter 8 now for a very long time. We've been looking at six words. I'm not going to have you review all the words. Which word are we currently at? We're on the last word of the six. And the word election. Okay. And we have... I think, I think we've done... I think we've done... I've done everything in my power. I'll say we, because we always work together. Uh, that's the way I like it to, to be. Uh, we have done everything in our power to try to demonstrate that this should not be controversial because the text really demands the direction we are... going. I mean, really, there's just no way to get around it, okay? And remember, the reason the text demands it is because it takes these six words, and what does it do with the six words? Links them together. And by linking them together, it creates a situation where you're stuck, right? For those God foreknows, and then it goes on. He predestines, calls, he justifies, he glorifies, and then, there, then he refers to them as the elect. You put that all together, you're stuck. I, I, you, you have to break the chain. You have to go in and break the chain and then impose some idea or theology that's not there. And you cannot do that. Okay, that's the whole point. So, we got to the, uh, to the doctrine of election. What have we st- learned so far about the doctrine of election? And remember, we're using Grudem systematic theology for anyone who's just tuning in for the first time. Uh, that's what we're utilizing heavily. Of course, I read a little bit and then offer all of my thoughts, but we're, we're using this. What are some of the basic ideas we've gotten so far? What are some of the things we've talked about? We've talked about Orta Salutis, or the order of salvation. Yes, I'm not going to review that right now for time's sake, but we've talked about that. Make sure you have that order down. Remember the order that was provided by Grudem and what I, the things I said about the order puts you at odds with whom? Pretty much every Christian you know. Because almost every Christian you know does not believe in the ordus Salutis the way we teach it, right? They completely reject it. They deny it. In fact, they would say that our order of salvation is what? Heretical, okay. They would probably go so far as to say it's heretical. But our ordus Salutis, our Salutis is very much in line with historical Reformation theology. No question about it. Some would argue that we could even go further back and demonstrate this even in earlier in, in church history. But I would argue that most importantly, we believe that the ordus Salutis is in line with biblical teaching. That's the key. Does everybody remember that? All right. Now. Then after we looked at that, we started uh, then going into greater detail about the doctrine of election, okay? And what was the definition we put for election? All right, let's go through this. Someone already said the first part. Election is what? An act of God. Stop right there. Why is that critical? God elected us. We did not elect him. Any theology, I want to make it clear, any theology that you have that somehow tries to say that we chose God, then you're doing, we're doing the electing and God becomes what? The electee are our elect. And the Bible never refers to God as our elect. We are referred to as God's elect, demonstrating possession. We are in, pos- God is in possession of us, right? Does that make sense? If you I, And you just got to really think that through when you start changing that up. So election is an act of God, next, before creation in which he chooses some people to be saved, not on account of any, what's the next word? Foreseen. Stop right there. That's the key. He didn't elect you on some foreseen idea that you elected him. Because that doesn't make any sense, right? I'm going to look and see who chooses me, and because they choose me, then I'm going to choose him. Why would he Why would he need to choose me if he knows that I'm going to choose him without any intervention on his behalf? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I'm going to choose you. His choice would be re- useless, right? Hey, I, I'm going to look through time. Bobby's going to choose me, so I'm going to choose Bobby. But what? What am I choosing? Bobby already is the one who's doing the choosing. Does that make sense? All right, so that foreseen thing is so very, 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 very important. All right, so let's read it again. Election is what? An act of God before creation in which he chooses some people to be saved not on account of any what? Foreseen merit in them, but only because of... His sovereign good pleasure, all right? Does anybody need me to write that down? Or does anybody need me to write that down? I'll go there and write it down for you, okay? You won't be able to read what I write, but uh, okay. Does anybody need more time to write that down? Are you good? Okay, all right. All right, here we go. Now, there has been much controversy in the church And much misunderstanding over this doctrine. Can everyone say amen to that? If you've never encountered it, because you've only been in this church, be thankful. All right? If you ever go to another church, probably don't mention the doctrine. Okay? (laughs) Or you'll find yourself in all kinds of, of difficult, depending on the type of church you go to. Many of the controversial questions regarding man's will and responsibility and regarding the justice of God with respect to human choices have been discussed in some length in our discussion on God's what? How did we start everything before we get to the six words? Providence. Remember, if you, dis- if you study God's providence before you study this, this is not controversial. Because your only option is to then say God is not sovereign, God is not all-knowing, and God is not all-powerful, and God does not work all things according to his good pleasure and will. And, in a, and if you destroy all of that, you know what you probably should be? An atheist. Because you've really just destroyed the entire doctrine of God. Okay? And basically, you've made yourself God. In fact, the only reason we do that is because we want to be in charge. The only reason people go, the, listen, and I know this is going to offend some people. The reason we hate election is because we don't want God in charge. We want ourselves in charge. And somehow we think that that's a better idea. Which, which then leads to, I want you to realize this. Why do, so maybe want to write this down. Why do people hate election? They want to be in charge. They think being in charge is a better idea. Why do they think it's a better idea? They deny the doctrine of depravity. Now, they would say they don't, but clearly they do. Because if you want to be in charge of your salvation, then you have to somehow believe that your depravity would not stop you from choosing God. See what some people want to believe is and we can just pick anyone in the room. We could pick Joel, we could pick Austin, we could pick Lydia, any, anybody in the room, right? And we could say, "Okay, my hope is that they will choose God." I don't know why you think that's a better option because they never will unless God does a work in them. Because they, according to Scripture, if they're not saved, is what? Dead and their trespasses and sins. and dead people don't make choices. All right? And again, all you have to do, we can literally stop this service, go get in our cars, drive that down that way. What about two miles? There's a cemetery right there on the right. We could all walk through the gate and you can offer them everything you want. You can offer them money, you can offer them. A vacation, a house, you can offer and offer. You can yell, scream, jump up and down, and guess what? Now, if someone starts crawling out of the grave, I'm leaving, I'm gone, I'm out of there, I'm just, I'm, you, goodbye, because the zombie apocalypse has started and I'm nowhere, I'm out of here, okay? But what, no one's going to do anything. Why? Because they're dead. So guess what? My, I, I don't want to be in charge. Right? Because uh, dead people in charge, they don't do much. (laughs) Correct? Does that make sense? Okay, hopefully it makes sense. It makes sense to you guys, but people listening may be like, well, I disagree, I disagree. Okay, our approach, this is Grudem's approach, will be first to simply cite a number of passages that discuss election. We're going to begin in, I thought it was going to begin in the Old Testament, we'll just start in the New Testament because that's where Grudem starts. Uh, Will and a number of other people sent me a list of scriptures. They they went and found all the scriptures they think refer to the doctrine of election. That was the homework I gave you. I'm not going to ask you if you did it. Um, But uh, I've got got plenty of of others who did it. So um, I can look and see. Uh, We may compare their list at some point. But for now, we'll just go with Grudem and see what he has to say. All right. So this is the first thing he wants. This is the question he wants to seek to answer. You ready? Does the New Testament teach the idea of predestination and election? That's a simple, good, that's a good question, right? Does the New Testament teach it? If it does, then what's your responsibility? To believe it. If it doesn't, what's your responsibility? To reject it. Right? Now, I think we've already seen that Romans eight does a pretty good job i don't, I don't know how, I don't know what else you can do. I mean Romans eight kind of solves the problem, but we'll just we'll see what else he throws in here and we'll we'll talk about each one. Are you ready? Okay, The first passage he wants us to look at is in the book of Acts chapter thirteen Acts chapter thirteen now we we definitely need to ensure that there's no uh, textual differences here. Seth, you have the ESV. Stephen has the never intended version, right? Okay, and then all the rest of us have a real Bible. We all have the King James. Okay, all right, everybody good? All right, I'm just, I'm, yeah, I'm going to make someone mad somewhere. Okay, all right, everybody ready? Okay, Acts thirteen forty-eight. All right, Acts thirteen forty-eight. I want everyone to read it on their own first. Everyone read it on their own. Acts thirteen forty eight, and when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. All right, now Stephen, does it, how does it read in the NIV? All those who were appointed for eternal life, believe. Seth, the ESV. Those who were appointed to eternal life. Right. Now, just from reading this verse, what does this verse seem to imply? Well, do, okay, yeah, just what does this verse, don't try to read other things into it, just what that verse is saying. Those who are appointed believed. Why did they believe? They were, they were appointed. Now, what's what's obviously a very key thing that we need to look up here? That word appointed or what's the King James word? Ordained. Ordain. Let's look it up. Let's look up the word. Let's look up the word. Let's see if it offers any insight, if it if it changes anything, if it if it if it, you know, does anything that doesn't make any sense to us. I'm going to have to do this really quick. I'm going to have to turn that off really quick, all right? I am going to open up the Blue Letter Bible app cuz I always we always use the same thing so everybody can follow along. Acts 13, 13:48, get down to verse 48, click on the verse, open up the interlinear and what do we find? We find this Greek word, if I can find it in the Greek. Here we go. It is this Greek word. That doesn't play. Here we go. Today. What do you want? Taso. It's tasso. It's an easy word, but I'll play it again. Strong's G 5021. Tasso. Tasso. It's the Greek word tasso. And it means what? Look at it. It's used how many times in the King James? Eight. How is it, in what ways is it translated? A point how many times? Three, ordain. How many times? One, set. One, and one. Right? What addict? Which is uh, which is kind of interesting, right? Okay. Now it's used eight times. So that means we, we can do what? Since it's used only eight times, what can we do? Oh, just go down in your in your uh, Blue Letter Bible app and guess what? You have all the verses listed right here. Okay, Matthew twenty eight sixteen. Then the, uh, the 11 disciples went away, uh, away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. What does that mean? Told them where to go. He appointed them. Who's in charge? Jesus. Luke 7, 8. For I, I also am a man set under authority... Having under uh, me soldiers, and I say uh, to one, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth that. So in other words, I'm a a man, what? Who's in charge. Acts 13, 48. We have already read it, right? Uh, Acts 15, 2. And when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and and disputation with them, they determined... Right, Acts 22.10, And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told of these things which are appointed for thee to do. Acts 28.23, And when they had appointed him a day, Romans thirteen one, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God anyone who's in charge and any government who put them there I know what as Americans you're like no we did no God did okay God did right so if you're upset about the election you can go storm the Capitol. but what you really need to do is storm heaven rip God off the throne kick him three times and say I'm in charge and that's who I want to be in charge of the government it doesn't work that way does it no Right? You're not storming the throne room because you get thrown out very, very quick, right? I would assume the security in heaven is far better than the security at the Capitol. Now, I'm going to offend people with that, but that's just, that's the nonsense that Christians fall into. Who appointed it? Who's in charge? God. Right? Who appoints everything to come to pass the way it does? God. Who appoints those people in Acts 13, 48 to believe? You see, every time we don't like what happens, what do we immediately want to be? In charge. That's what we want to be. The issue, you know why people hate the doctrine of election? They just want to be in charge. That's what it comes down to. This is not a theological issue. This is not even a hermeneutical issue. This is just the arrogance and narcissistic pride of people thinking that they know better than God. Yeah, I didn't, I'm i not getting a lot of amens on that. I, I didn't think so. I did not know. No. Everybody's like, nope, don't like, done with this. Okay, yeah, because it, it puts us in our place, doesn't it? All right, and then you get the basic idea. All right, now, any questions about that? So what does Acts 13, 15 seem, seemingly a, a, imply? That the people who believe are the people who were appointed. Who appointed them, I wonder? hmm, hmm. Anybody know? Yeah, this is a time that a church answer would be appropriate. Obviously, God appointed them. When did he appoint them? Before creation. There we go. And that's called? Election. There you go. See how we just worked it out, right? Uh, Grudem adds this. It is significant that Luke mentions the fact of election almost in passing. As if this were the normal occurrence when the gospel was preached. And it is interesting the way Luke in Acts 13, 48 kind of states it. Right? He doesn't really explain it. Well, as many who was appointed unto eternal life believed. Like it was no big deal. Obviously, he didn't realize at the time. Now, obviously, he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But clearly, they know the time was coming that a lot of people are not going to be happy with said concept. A lot of people are not going to be happy with said concept. And I understand. But I, to me, here's your solution. I, let me make it again. When people get mad about this, those who are at the house right now who are mad, listen to me. This is very important. Your choice when it comes to salvation is either salvation is a work of God or salvation is somehow going to be accomplished by people who are dead in their trespasses and sins. When you compare it that way, which one makes the most sense? Salvation accomplished by people who are dead in their trespasses and sins or, co- or salvation accomplished by the living God who is holy, righteous, and all-powerful. If you state it that way, it shouldn't be controversial, should it? It shouldn't, in theory, but people will get upset and say everything else, all right? Okay. Um, and then uh, Grudem adds this, How many believed in Acts thirteen forty eight? As many as were ordained to eternal life. In Romans 8, he tells you, he wants you to look at Romans 8, 28 through 30. And I'll read it the way he has it written. We know that in everything, God works for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called... He justified, and those he justified, he glorified. In the following chapter, go to Romans 9, 11 through 13. Romans 9, 11 through 13. All right, Romans 9, 11 through 13. I'm going to read this, all right? Oh, he's got it here. Well, I'm just going to read it from the actual text here because I think he adds some stuff here. So I want to make sure we have the text without anything added here. Romans 9, 11 through 13. All right, everybody ready? For the children, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to... Now stop right there. See, when people get mad, that's literally, it's right there in the Bible. The word election is there. You got to study it. Does everybody understand that? Like people get mad when you like I, I, we, we had it happen here. We had a, a couple who was visiting the church. they were visiting the church. this is back when we were still on uh, Christian radio. and uh, they were visiting the church, but because our, our our messages came on Sunday morning as people were driving to church, we I had started doing a, a teaching kind of basically on the doctrine of election, and the sun they had been coming, and then that Sunday. I taught on the Doctrine of Election on the radio, they heard it and they never came back. Now, what frustrates me is, wait a minute, wait a minute. Because, I'm stu- because we're studying the Doctrine of Election? You, you can't get mad. Like, if you're just unwilling to hear it, it's right there in the Bible. Does everyone see it there? What God's getting ready to do is for the purpose of what? Uh, what's the text say? According to election. It's right there. Right now, let's let's pick this verse back up. All right, for the children, what children is he referring to here? Jacob and Esau. Okay, all right. So uh, before they've done any what, good or evil, even before they're born, according to election might stand not of works but of him that calleth. So what is so what's getting ready to happen is not based off what anything they do. I want, to hear, I want you to hear this again. What's getting ready to happen is not based of what the individuals are going to do. What's getting ready to happen occurred before they were born. Okay? And what happens before they were born? It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. The elder should serve the younger. Who's older, Joel or Austin? All right, Joel's going to serve Austin. And it's not based on anything they want. I'm assuming that Joel would not want to do that, right? Okay, he probably doesn't want to serve anybody, okay, right? Probably just wants to serve himself, which is pretty much like everyone else in this room, right? Okay, but God determined this. Did Jacob and Esau have a vote? Did their parents have a vote? Did anybody else have a vote? It goes further than that. All right? All right? So the older is going to serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What's the love and hate based off of? Not on what they do. If you've ever read the story of Jacob and Esau, it, from a human perspective, it's at times really troubling, is it not? I mean, is Jacob a great guy? Oh, come on, let's be honest. No, not even close. J- Jacob is a dumpster fire. His train wreck, right? And you're like, what? What? Why does he love Jacob and hate Esau? God's election and is it not what's it not based off of anything that they would do yeah nothing based on any foreseen action on their parts or right, no merit very good and aren't you glad it's not based on any foreseen merit now, you may say, well, I don't care about Jacob and Esau, but once it gets applied to me, I am grateful that election is not based on foreseen merit because I would never be elected. Neither would you. Jacob should not have been elected according to us. If we were voting, we would be like, nope, 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 I passed. Nope, nope, I'm sorry. We need someone better than Jacob. Anybody. Anybody but Jacob. Right? Anybody. And then what does the next verse say? Now, why would Paul write, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. Why would he write that? Well, he would write that because he knows anyone reading this is going to say, that's not fair. That's not right. Now, what he should have said, no, no, guys, you misunderstand. God looked down through time and he saw what they were. He did not say that. He just says there's, not unrighteous, there's no unrighteousness in God because whatever God elects, it's done through righteousness because he is holy. And because immediately, what, what's the most important answer to understand about this? How many people deserve to be chosen by God? None. So is it unrighteous for God not to choose someone? No. Now, I understand. Philosophically, in a philosophy class, people are going to have problems. Because people are going to go all the way back and go, wait a minute, in the beginning God created and that's where philosophically Christianity has major problems. Why would God create a world knowing that there would be people who are going to commit sin who don't deserve to be saved? I understand. I don't have an answer for that philosophically. There is no answer for that philosophically. There is not. I just want to make sure there is no answer for that philosophically other than God does what God wants. Right? Does anybody understand that? Okay. Now, Uh, Let's go back to Grudem. All right. Um, Regarding the fact some of the people of Israel were saved, but others were not, Paul says Israel failed to obtain what it sought. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Look at uh, Romans 11. Romans chapter 11, everybody there? Verse 7, what then? Israel hath not obtained that which it seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. All right, there, God blinded certain people. Some people obtained it, not because of what they did, but because of election. Paul talks explicitly about God's choice of believers before the foundation of the world. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, everybody there? Verses 4 through 6, Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, I'll read it, I always just leave it for you guys, but Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4, according as he hath chosen us in him before when? The foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to whose will? His will. I want to make it clear. Well, how are we chosen? According to his will. Let me state it again. If he looks down through time and sees that Bobby is going to choose him, then the choosing would be according to whose will? Bobby's. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. I, again, people will rebel against this, get mad about this, get upset about this. I, I don't know what you want. I mean, look, that, that's, that's the choice every Christian has to make. Are you going to follow the scriptures or are you going to rewrite the scriptures? Do we have to like it? We don't have to like it, right? Our feelings towards it is irrelevant. Yes? Again, it's just like when a doctor comes in and says, you've got cancer, you don't have to like it. Right? But the truth is the truth. Who did the choosing? When did he do the choosing? Why did he do the choosing? The end. There's the doctrine of election. There you go. We're we're finished. We should just stop right there. I mean, really, that's the end of it. All right? When did it occur? According to whose will? Why did he do it? His good pleasure. The end. I mean, it's, it's pretty much that simple, right? Um, here, Paul is writing to believers, and he specifically says that God chose us in Christ, referring to believers generally in a similar way. Several verses later, uh, look at Ephesians 1.12. What happens in Ephesians 1.12? We who first hoped in Christ have been what? Ephesians 1.12. Ephesians we who first hope in Christ have been what? What's the words used in Ephesians 1.12? Uh, let me look at Ephesians 1 12. Oh, okay. Let's go back to verse 11. All right. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. I guess he probably wanted 11 through 12 there. So we have been what? We've been appointed. We have been, as it says, um, we have been predestinated according to what? The purpose of him who worketh what things? After the counsel of his own will, right? So once again, it's the idea of we've been predestined, According to His will, His purpose. All right, everybody, get the idea. All right, go to First Thessalonians chapter one. First Thessalonians chapter one. See, that's why I have to sometimes rely on actually opening the text because the book will quote something and then they get the wrong reference there. First, First uh, Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter one. Look at verse four. What does verse four say in First Thessalonians chapter one?. Okay. All right, well the King James reads First Thessalonians chapter one, verse four this way, "Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God." For our gospel came not unto you for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance as we know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. But what do you need to know, brethren? You need to know your election of God. Everybody see that? Second Thessalonians two thirteen. Second Thessalonians 2.13. Oh, we're going to run out of time. Second Thessalonians 2.13. For this cause also think we, God, without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which you have heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. The idea is that people are saved through, the, through God's word, but how do we know that they're going to be saved? Because we know they're going to be saved because God had appointed them. Does everybody understand that kind of concept there? In fact, go to 2 Thessalonians 2.13. Go to 2 Thessalonians. Yeah, here we go. 2 Thessalonians 2.13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, uh, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to what? To salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth God's word is the pow- God's word is the power, but it's a power to work in those who've been appointed or chosen unto salvation that gets back to effectual calling, right verse, verse 14 which says what you there you go the yeah verse 14 is the calling. okay there you go. it all fits it goes right back to the six words that we have been studying over and over and over again. All right. Now, there's more scriptures here that we could look at. I mean, I don't know what more you need. There, I mean, how many scriptures do you need to prove the doctrine? I mean, it's just, it's all over the place, right? It's a, I don't know how people get, and I know someone's going to say, but, 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 but what, what about John 3.16? What about John 3.16? For God so loved the world, that whosoever believeth should not perish, but have everlasting life. How is that? I don't, when everyone quotes that to me, I don't know how that's, a, how is that a problem? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whosoever believeth should not perish and have everlasting life. Whoever believes in the Son will not perish but have everlasting life. Who will believe in the Son? Those who are appointed. How is that a problem? Everybody acts like that. See, I I, I solved your... I hate when people do that. They just quote a verse thinking that that resolves... You do realize you have to understand. How do you understand John 3.16? In light of all the other verses. You don't just take all the other verses and somehow ignore them in light of John 3.16. They all have to be put together. When I preach the gospel, I, I say, whoever believes will be saved. So believe. That's a general call. I'm done. Who will believe? those those who are appointed and God will effectually call. I call everyone to salvation. We don't people think that somehow when you believe election you walk around going, "Okay, hey Bobby, do you have election written on you somewhere? Do you have elect?" No, I don't know who's the elect. You don't know who the elect. So what will we do? Preach for everyone to believe. So I, you see when, when people get mad about this, I'll never understand when, when I was in the first Bible Institute and everybody was losing their minds and, and then I got kicked out of the Bible Institute and everybody's going crazy, I still to this day don't understand why people get mad. Let me, let, let's explain how this works. Forget the doctrine of election for a second. As a Christian, my responsibility is to take the gospel and to proclaim it to whom? All people, right? That's true of someone who doesn't believe in election. That is true of someone who does, Now, I preach. Now, the difference is I don't have to manipulate or trick or try to get Bobby to cry so I can get him to walk an aisle and say a prayer because that's just all human manipulation techniques, right? Which don't ultimately produce anything other than an initial sign, but in many cases, then they walk away and never truly believe. So all the manipulation I don't need to do because I know what? That Bobby will believe if he has been appointed unto eternal life and God will do the saving. Everybody gets mad. From a human perspective, we just preach the gospel to anyone. This is really an argument about what? What happened before the foundations of the world and what God is doing. We don't see that. All we see is I'm so preach it to everyone. When people get mad about it, it just makes no sense. You know why they get mad about it? Because they want some control thinking that they can get someone saved. But you can't get some. Even if you, believe, if you don't believe in election, then you believe in free will, right? And if you believe in free will and you believe free will cannot be touched by God, why do you think you can touch people's free will with your manipulation and your trickery? If you don't want God messing with your free will, why do you mess with free will? I've seen free will people who go all crazy, like in junior church, getting those kids crying, thinking they're going to go to hell to manipulate them to say a prayer. How about their free will? Respect their free will. Back off. Leave them alone. All, All of a sudden, they don't. And when they pray, how do they pray? Lord, break them. Bring them to a point that they need. That sounds like you're violating their free will. If you believe in their free will, leave them alone. Don't pray for them. How dare you? Respect their free will. You don't want God getting involved. God can't mess with their free. They know what you've heard preached. God never will go against your free will. He'll never violate your free will. Then don't pray for anybody. Respect their free will. Someone's an alcoholic. Don't pray that God gets fixes them. That's their free will. They want to be an alcoholic. Let them be an alcoholic. Do you see the problem with that theology? So let me make it let make it very clear. The New Testament seems to teach what concept? That God chooses when, before creation, those who will be saved, and He does so for what purpose? His pleasure, and whose will? His will. That's what the New Testament teaches. Now, I want to make it very clear. Uh, I, I, this is where you wish you have like a, a hundred people here to see when people how they would disagree. Because you know people are, there are people right now listening online who are disagreeing. All right, so let me make it very clear. From a human perspective, just from a purely human perspective, this is what this is how it should operate from, uh, from, from this church because we believe in the doctrine of election and predestination we believe in a, a reformed soteriology all right this is how, this is how it affects us it, we should evangelize to anyone and everyone we can we don't do what manipulate trick try to get them we just present the gospel to them we don't try to find some way like to close the deal draw in the net all the different words that we, we don't do all of that right Okay, and so another thing that we don't do is we don't do uh, a lot of, you know, manipulating. Like, I'm going to tell a sad story here in a minute and get you to cry and play just as I am 37 times on the piano to get you to walk full, and I'm not going to play any of those games, right? But we still present the gospel to anyone and everyone and call them to repent. So there's a few things that change. Now, if you believe in free will, you should present the gospel to everyone and call them to believe. Now, if you believe in free will, if you're going to be consistent, what should you not do? If you're going to believe in free will, what should you not do? This is usually not talked about, but if you're going to believe in free will, like say you believe in free will, why would you pray for their conversion? Because God can't do anything that would violate their free will, right? So praying for them would seem a violation, yes? Right? And that would not just be about salvation, that'd be about anything. Man, Seth's got a meth you know, addiction. We, we got to pray for Seth. I'm not; he doesn't really, for those listening online, he doesn't have a real actual meth addiction as far as we know. Okay, all right. So, but we'd be like, pray that you, know, that you break him of his addiction. But then someone could say, well, wait a minute, what about his free will? Isn't it amazing how we violate his free will right there? Pray for his salvation. What not? So we wouldn't do that. What else should you not do if you believe in free will? Should manipulate them because you've got to respect what? Their free will. Manipulating someone's free will, that's not allowing their will to be free. Does, does Lincoln and Levi get free will at their house? What? Okay, I'm calling CPS today. That's, what kind of nonsense is that? So the kids are being abused? Because y'all tell them what to do. Why? Do you respect their free will? No, you don't. You know you don't. I've seen Christian parents who are like, free will, free will, free will, free will, free will. But my kids will not do this and do not do this and you can't watch this and you can't read this and you can't do that and you can't wear that and you can't go here and you can't do that and you can't cut your hair that way and you can't wear that jewelry and you can't do that. And you're like, whoa, that's a lot of don'ts, man. That's a lot of don'ts for their free will. All of a sudden, no, dog they can have free will when they turn eighteen. Well, what? A, well, that, that doesn't sound like you respect their free will. So I'm saying, if you believe in free will, by all means, believe in free will. But then respect. If you believe God has to respect free will, then why wouldn't you have to respect free will? But nobody wants. Does anybody want the world to have free will? Come I and think about it. Do you really want the world to have free will? Do you want someone to be able to walk through that door right now with a gun and start shooting all of us? No, if they come in with a gun, what are we going to do? One thing, we're going to be calling for someone, a kid here, hopefully to stop it, and we're going to want them to violate their what? With a bullet. Let's just be fair, right? We're going to want the cops to show up and stop it, Correct? Now people say, "Well, that's not the same thing. It's still the idea of free will, right? So in other words, we know everyone wants free will limited in certain situations. Does that make sense? So but when it comes to salvation, they say they want to respect everyone's free will, but we don't respect people's free will when it comes to salvation. Because again, I've been in the most Armenian, the, the Bible Institute that I got kicked out of. On their Wednesday nights, their prayer meetings, it was always like, pray for these people's salvation. It'd be like, break them, bring them to an end to themselves. And I'm sitting there going, When did y'all become Calvinist? Arminians pray like Calvinist. (laughs) That's not consistent. And sometimes there are Calvinists who act more like they believe in free will, right? The, the key, so I want to make sure, from a from human perspective, what changes if you believe in, in the doctrine of election? What changes if you believe in the doctrine? From a human perspective, forget what God is doing, what changes? Do we still preach the gospel to everyone? Call everyone to repentance? Yes. Pray for everyone to be saved? Yes. Okay. What changes? We don't manipulate, trick, use we don't use all of that because we believe that, that, that none of that ultimately will work because God's got to be the one that saves them, all right? That's the change changes. If you believe in free will, what changes? You still preach the gospel to everyone? I still call everyone to repentance. The only problem is typically in free will, you stop being consistent with the doctrine of free will in about 50 different ways, right? Usually you don't pray, respecting people's free will. You believe you want God to intervene, that's not respecting free will. And what sadly what do many people in free will churches do? Use manipulative techniques to get people to say a prayer. And we don't do that. We don't manipulate people to say a prayer. I get people, I present the gospel to someone. And then what are my what's my responsibility after that? Done. If they become saved, what's my responsibility? To disciple. Does that make sense? That's really not that controversial, is it? Right? It's really not that controversial. But I will say this to end because I want to make sure now I come after us. Alright? We saw that as many who are appointed unto eternal life are the ones who believe. And that word appoint is the same word ordained in Romans 13:1. Now I mentioned this, but we need, we have, I, I get tired of, of reform people not being very reformed in their theology. If God appoints those in charge, then we have a responsibility to submit to those in charge. There are very, 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 very limited situations where we may not. But don't run around and yell and buy into conspiracy theories about elections saying all kinds of nonsensical nonsense because guess what? God put Biden in charge and if you don't like it, take it up with him. And guess who put Trump in charge? God. Guess who put Obama in charge? Get over it. We've got Christians running around yelling, oh no, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to fix this, we're going to do this. Why? You're fighting against God. Who put Nero in charge? Who put Jehu in charge? I can go through all of them. In fact, our study in 1 Kings led us right to that. He sends Elijah to anoint Haziel and Jehu. They were really great guys. Jehu is considered was very corrupt. Who appointed, appointed them? God. God puts the one in charge. If you're gonna believe in election, well, God's in charge, God's in charge, then be consistent. That's all I'm saying. Does that make sense? Be consistent. Just like the free will people are sometimes they're not consistent. Reformed people are not consistent. Because we, the minute, guess when we don't want God to be in charge? <laughs> the minute we don't like what he does. and that how it works with Lincoln and Levi? Are, are, they, are they happy when their mom and dad is in charge? They're going to be happy here in a few minutes when I shut up. Uh, and they go somewhere. I don't know where are they going to eat today for lunch. Where, okay, you may not be getting any food, but they're going to be very grateful that their parents are in charge providing them food. When are they not going to be grateful? When their mom and dad says you can't have that on the menu. Right? Then all of a sudden they don't like mom and dad being in charge. We're the same way. God, praise you for being in charge of my election. What are you doing in appointing that idiot to be president? All of a sudden well, now we're not so happy with it, right? Isn't that amazing? We're just like kids. So if you want to say, well, how, what do you think about my Christianity? Well, you're probably just like Lincoln and Levi. Lincoln and Levi now is our, is our model of what Christianity looks like. Okay? Right? So whenever you need an example, just look to them. Or we could put Austin and Joel in that same place because actually they may be worse off than Lincoln and Levi. Okay. Lincoln and Levi, is too, they, they have ignorance to, to claim Austin and Joel they just have rebellion to claim, right? They, they, they don't have ignorance to claim, right? They're, they're too old for that, okay? So we'll, we'll use Lincoln. So Lincoln's like, yeah, that's right, Austin. I, you're no good. I'm the only good kid here. That's right. Beep, beep. There you go. Right? There you go. He's like, I'm the only good kid here. All right. Everybody got, does that make sense? I know that offends people, but I'm just tired of a lot of the Christians, the way they act with the political situation, because it's almost they forget that God appointed them. God appointed them. I I don't, why? I don't know, but I know this. Breaking into the Capitol is not the solution, okay? Pray to God about it, right? And guess what? You can pray, but you know who God's still going to appoint. Who he wants, right? Isn't that kind of the way it works? That's kind of the way it works. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. A very plain doctrine, a very clear doctrine to see, but a doctrine that is still yet offensive to something deep inside of all of us, which is the desire to sit on your throne. We don't like to say it that way, But everyone in this room, deep down in their heart, we want to sit on your throne. We want to make the rules. We want to be in charge. We want things to work the way we want it to work. And when you don't do things that we want, we either change your word or we rebel. That's the truth, Lord. Everyone in this room, including me, we've all done it, maybe in different ways, maybe pertaining to different issues, but we're all guilty. And we thank you that it's only because of your mercy and grace and election that we are saved, not by any foreseen merit, not because of anything we would do, could do, and that our salvation is based off the imputed righteousness of your son. Because if it was based on anything else, everyone in this room would die and go to hell. And we are grateful for your sovereign election and praise you for it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said,